And it's sort of the experiment that I'm living right now is, can you use that part of science? Can you use that, uh, that storytelling from science in art to enrich art, to give it extra dimensions with the goal, hopefully, of in inducing or inspiring people that see this art to think and to look more slowly, to, to think more deeply and to, to be inspired to, to explore and, and learn and, and, and ask themselves questions. In other words, to be, to be more curious. This is Choose to be Curious, a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Welcome. Come, choose to be curious with us. Here's a lovely curiosity practice for you. The other day, I met someone who puts a daily note on their phone, new. Each day, they look for something that's new to them to put next to that gentle prompt. It might be a new word, something they did for the first time, maybe a new piece of music, anything new. I don't know what they do with all those new things, maybe nothing, but I admire the commitment to intentionally looking for what's different in one's day. What might we discover? How might we expand our thinking by being so purposely attentive to that which is new to us? That practice got me thinking about lifelong learning. According to the Stanford Center on Longevity, in the U.S. and elsewhere, 100-year lives will be common for people born today. But, they say, we're not ready for that. We don't organize our lives, ourselves, or allocate our energy in ways that are likely to even remotely make sense over all that extra time. Through something they call the new life map, researchers and educators at the Center on Longevity are taking on the profound implications of an increased lifespan and calling for creative and equally monumental changes in the ways we lead those hundred year lives at every stage. That's actually a conversation for another day. I'm figuring out who I might get to join me to talk about that and what role curiosity plays. But reimagining how one might show up in the course of a life, however long that life may be, is very much today's topic. Today, we're looking at finding the new, reimagining our present and possible futures, and surprise, how using curiosity fuels those efforts. Soren Maibom is a Danish-born visual artist who's lived and worked in Boston for more than 20 years. Soren's artistic creativity was ignited at an early age, but it ended up taking a backseat to elite-level soccer in those early years, first on club teams, youth national teams, and then as a semi-professional. His academic curiosity led him to a master's degree in physics and astronomy, to a PhD in astrophysics, and on to a 14-year career at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, studying stellar structure and evolution working with NASA on missions to discover planets beyond our solar system. And then the arts called Soren back. Today, he situates himself at the intersection of curiosity, creativity, art, and science. His work blends the techniques of visual arts with the tools of science, data, formula, graphs. His unique combination of science and art, what he calls sci-art, seeks to trigger our curiosity 
and ignite our joy of discovery. Soren has recently been named Artist-in-Residence at the Belgium-based Global Curiosity Institute, and will be working with that team to explore the magical intersection between curiosity, science, art, and creativity, which, I have to say, sounds like a pretty fabulous gig. Talk about finding something new in each day. So welcome, Soren. Thank you very much, Lynn. I'm a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm really delighted about this. And congratulations on the Curiosity Global Institute Artist in Residence. Tell me more about that. It sounds wonderful. Yeah, it's, it is very exciting because um, it is, as you said, it's, it's sort of a way for me to, to think with someone as, uh, as smart and special as uh, Stefan van Hoytung on, on all these things that are sort of uh, coming together, colliding in my life right now. And so, yeah, so to speak to someone like him and speak to someone like you who knows so much about curiosity and how, how that affects our lives, it's, it's made me, interestingly, a lot more self-aware. You know, I, don't use, <laughs> I didn't used to think so much about myself. <laughs> so tell me more about that. How so? Well, it's interesting. Like, you, 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 thank you for the nice introduction. I mean, you know, I've, I've gone through all these different phases of my life, and I, I never once thought about curiosity. Uh-huh. And, and it sounds almost silly when I say it, because it's such a fundamental thing of being a scientist, obviously, it's, 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 it's fundamental to being a scientist and to being an artist as well. I even think it plays a big role in, in being an athlete and, 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 a, and a, a playing sports at a high level. But I never really thought about consciously that it was a, it was a, it was a driver throughout my, my life completely at the core. So if you didn't think of it as curiosity, did you describe it for yourself in some other way? I don't, I don't think so, Lynn. Perhaps this is why, you know, I've, I've just, I go through these different phases of my life. It's, it's, you know, I, I just follow what I feel and what I am excited about. But I, yeah, as I said, it was really through my conversations with Stefan, where he interviewed me for his book and we started talking. He was curious about, you know, uh, what I have done uh, and uh, that I started more deliberately thinking about uh, what role curiosity have played in my life. That's really interesting because I think actually, I don't think you're alone in this regard at all. And I think actually you've sort of articulated something that people like Stefan and I struggle with about like, well, if people don't think of themselves as curious, what are they thinking? What, how, what are the words or the vague concepts that we use to describe behaviors and mindsets that one might describe as curious, but one might use other words to describe. And, and so if you want people to do more of that, figuring out how to get at the way people are thinking about these things, if they're not thinking about it as curiosity, is actually really important. So I think you've just kind of, thank you. You've just kind of crystallized something there that I think is actually pretty important. Well, but but what is interesting now is that now that I have realized the you know, the existence (laughs) of curiosity, right? As you know, I I have, because of my curiosity and my, my tendency to dwell deep into topics, I've started to learn how, how complicated a topic that is. And now I'm thinking about deliberately about how I can try to call forth, uh, you know, inspire the, the right, if there's a right kind, the right kind of curiosity through my through my practice of art. Interesting, interesting. Well, you have somewhere, or you said somewhere, that science tells us truthful stories, and that art is a great communicator. 
first, I think that science tells us truthful stories is a really beautiful way to put that. And I had I had two things that came up for me when I saw that or heard that. I thought, well, are art stories less or differently truthful? Or is part of the joy of sci art sort of using the strengths of each to amplify the other in some ways? So let, let's talk a little bit about sci art, because maybe that helps to answer these questions. Yeah. When I rewired myself from being a scientist to to being an artist a few years ago, I didn't, I didn't do that with the intention of, of making sci art. In fact, art has always been kind of a, an outlet for me from my scientific work where I would do more, you know, perhaps more typical traditional art. But lo and behold, um, what happened of course, was that science has been such a big part of my life that, that I, that it, it, it worked its way into my art to my art pieces, into my artwork. <laughs> yeah, you can't and deny I, who you are. <laughs> I, I don't think you can ever let go of completely because when I was working as a scientist, I often found myself uh, seeing the artistic value in science. Like I, always, I, I often found myself when I would be writing equations or making plots or graphs or diagrams or reading papers with other people's results that, that there was an artistic value because all these symbolism, all these numerical expressions of knowledge and, and, and graphical expressions of knowledge, they, as, you, as you said, they're, they're telling us stories, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a, a different way of telling stories. I mean, and, and the beautiful thing about science is that it's unlike yeah, fictional uh, art and forms in all the different ways, science is telling a very honest and truthful story. Like this is what we see. This is what we know. And it's expressing that. And so I found it to be a very interesting challenge. And it's sort of the experiment that I'm living right now is, can you use that part of science? Can you use that uh, that storytelling from science in art to enrich art, to give it extra dimensions with the goal, hopefully, of in- inducing or inspiring people that see this art to think and to look more slowly, to, to think more deeply and to, to be inspired to, to explore and, and learn and, and, and ask themselves questions. In other words, to be, to be more curious. Yeah, yeah. I just last night started reading George Saunders' book, A Swim in a Pond in the Rain. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It came out just a couple I, of years ago. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. It's a, I hadn't known about it until yesterday when I sort of stumbled on it and I thought, oh my gosh, this is a must read book. But it, it's a gorgeous book about storytelling and negotiating our human hunger for certainty, interestingly. And there's this lovely passage. I wrote it down because I started to think about our conversation as I was reading this. Mm-hmm. So the part of the mind that reads a story is also the part that reads the world. It can deceive us, but it can also be trained to accuracy. It can fall into disuse and make us more susceptible to lazy, violent, materialistic forces, but it can also be urged back to life, transforming us into more active, curious, alert readers of reality. Mm -hmm. And I thought the part of the mind that reads a story seems likely the same part of the mind that reads art. Yeah? Yeah. I I, I really do think so. I I, I really do think so. And I think the the thing that the the Safan... 
sort of opened my my world up to there's a, he's very focused on the workplace right he's very focused on where people work and 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 how to make people more curious where they where they work every and i through my conversations with stefan i i've started thinking a lot more about how art in the workplace can play a role in that right and and then it has led me down this rabbit hole of neuro aesthetics and neuro arts what art can do to us which i'm learning about that i'm reading about that because i think that it would be a wonderful application of something like sci art to be able to to tell stories of of what people are doing in their everyday lives you know in the workplace and have art be part of their everyday life in that in a way that inspire them to be you know, more curious and more innovative and exploratory and and and, uh, and creative so i think it's actually it's a perfect marriage you know i think combining science with art it's not I, i'm not saying it's easy it, it's it's a it's a challenge to do it artistically but i think there is a huge overlap and there's a sweet spot in there that can be very powerful You're listening to Choose to be Curious. I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and I'm joined today by Soren Maibom. I'm a visual artist working at the intersection of creativity, curiosity, science, and art. So talk a little bit about how you do that. Talk a little bit about what your art is looking like now. I mean, I imagine it's evolved and it will continue to evolve, but snapshot right now, how do these two things intersect? Yeah, so the way it has evolved is that I was interested in the idea of literally in quotation marks painting with with science in the sense that how can I incorporate the the results from science in in terms of of graphs and diagrams and equations and numbers that talks about a certain topic how can I incorporate it into a piece of art that is it's, it is primarily a piece of art. It should be visually attractive. It should be, you know, in terms of shapes and colors and contrast and light and darkness, it should be viewed as a piece of visual art, but painted, so to speak, with, with knowledge and information that is relevant to that topic, to the motif. And so that's what I'm, that's what I'm experimenting with. You know, I've gone through different, I tend to work in these series because what happens is, of course, you know, as, as you can imagine, is that I start studying a topic mm-hmm. and I spend months studying a topic. Sure. And I read books and I read articles and I read online and materials and take notes and make sketches. And then one picture is never, you know, enough. So it typically becomes these series of pictures that explore that topic. And I've worked on anything from radiology to human evolution to the game of my my old passion or my my lifelong passion of the game of soccer. Uh, now I'm working on colors and 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 cosmology at the same time. But there's really no. This is the this is what I think is beautiful about it, Lynn, is that there's no topic that can't be understood uh-huh. and 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 studied if you're if you're curious enough about it. That that I think you can express it in art as well. I love the idea of science as a medium. You know, we think of, we think of pastels, we think of paint, we think of, you know, charcoal, we think of mixed media, collage, whatever. But if you're thinking of science as 
a medium in the process, then you can you can experiment with it in all the ways you might experiment with all that other media, as you've as you've just described. I think that's a really interesting way to approach it. Yeah, it 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 is. Uh, you, you know, and as as you as you as you alluded to, I mean, it will probably evolve for me as well as it does for any artist. But it is. Can you add that extra dimension? Can you can you can you paint a picture? Can you make a, a, an interesting, dramatic piece of visual art, and then have that extra dimension of scientific knowledge of the scientific storytelling embedded into the picture? And and what I coming back to curiosity, which is of course what we like to talk about, is I think by doing that, you can trigger or inspire a different kind and a different level of curiosity in the viewer and hopefully take them down this road of exploration and a desire to learn and ask questions about that science that they may or may not understand and they may or may not be uh, aware of or familiar with, but just the fact that it's embedded into something as powerful as, as we know art is. Right. Art is so powerful. It, it affects us in all aspects of our lives. And, and if you can embed the stories of science, this deeper understanding into art, I, I, it is my hope that I can do that in a way that it will inspire people to be more exploratory and more curious. Uh-huh. Have you, in your self-described shorter tenure thinking of yourself as a curious person have you developed what you think of as your own curiosity practices as you said i mean i i have thought about myself as a curious person for a very short period of time but i have come to realize that i have always been very curious you know i've always and this is probably also why i ended up in science i was always dissatisfied with short superficial explanations you know, which is which is basically how we live our lives, right? I mean, the mm-hmm. news, you know, online, everywhere. We always, everything is, you know, the, the mantra of of media and and public figures, and is that the public don't want to know too much, right? Let's just <laughs> let's make it very very superficial. Uh-huh. And it's it's my whole life. I always been very dissatisfied with that. I always wanted to to understand things, you know, much more deeply and profoundly because. The world is is always much more complicated than people like it to to be. <laughs> right, and, right. Um, so it, I think I always practiced it. Mm-hmm. I always practiced mm-hmm. it. Uh, the curiosity. I just I just wasn't as self aware <laughs> as well, I should I think, have been. I think describing you know sort of that that tenacity of a kind of investigative mind. I mean, sort of not being satisfied with the short story. That's a curiosity practice, right there, right. Yeah, I think it lies at the heart of it. I mean, again, curiosity is a is a big topic, right? There are all kinds of different different kinds of curiosity. I think the kind of curiosity I'm describing to you is by some people referred to as epistemic curiosity. Right. Right. Where you can have the kind of curiosity where you're, you're curious about the celebrities and their marriages and how is it, how is it going and you know, the your the sports games on the weekend. That's different from from the curiosity that you feel when you when you're waiting for a result from the doctor, right? That could be good or bad, right? right? And that's different again from the curiosity you feel like when you really want to understand what is known about the evolution of the universe, <laughs> right? 
you know, if you want to understand, you know, what is known about cosmology, that's a different kind of curiosity than the the Kardashians, right? <laughs> I mean, this is why I've had, you know, 200 and some of these conversations, because there's not a single definition. I mean, it's not a one-time, one-and-done kind of conversation. No. It's really, you know, as Todd Cashton's work in a multidimensional, I wonder if we're using one word to describe things that are in fact actually different things. I think that's for us to figure out as we go along. But I actually want to invite you to to use one of your artworks as a bridge to our analogy, in fact, because I think it. my first reaction was, well, this is just such a great analogy for his work. But the physical ball, it's yeah. a tribute to the physical principles and laws of physics that soccer players, you know, use. Describe this work. And, you know, I felt this sort of tingle of connection of this idea of your life trajectory of using these laws of physics and integrating them almost intuitively in a way that the rest of us sort of integrate some things intuitively. That's maybe an opportunity for curiosity. Just sort of asking that next question. Yeah. You know, soccer was such a big part of my life. You know, I had done it since I was a little kid and I was fascinated by it. I loved it. But when I was asked to do sci art about soccer, I was starting to think really deeply about what is it that makes this game so, this beautiful, dramatic and complex game so uniquely popular across continents and cultures. And the first thing I thought about was the ball, right? I mean, this, you know, fantastic, simple, in a way, very simple toy that we all just fall in love with as kids. Then I thought what was fascinating coming back to, you know, my, 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 my background as a scientist is that what is it that makes the ball such a fantastic toy? Mm. Because it's, it's both predictable and yet it's very difficult to control it, right? It is challenging uh, to us physically, mentally, we, when we try to juggle a ball, whether with our hands or with our feet. So the, the, the physical ball is a way of telling that story and of course, my background as a physicist, an astrophysicist, gives me the, the opportunity to, to create a picture of a ball using the physics of, of atoms and molecules that are racing around inside the ball, creating the pressure that makes the ball elastic and round, or all the fluid dynamics of, of why the ball travels through the air as it does, whether it's spinning or whether it's not spinning. And again, coming back to how I see beauty in science, artistic beauty in science, when I look at these diagrams of, of turbulent airflows or laminar airflows and how they transition from one to the other, they're beautiful. I mean, they're, they're literally beautiful, I think, artistically. Diagrams that describe the forces, you know, and the lift forces and the drag forces and the friction and the convective turbulent motions of air yeah, I mean, we know that Da Vinci drew these things, right? And so you can you can represent what is going on when a ball flew through the air, and it has this artistic value. And so this became a very long answer to your question. But so I basically challenged myself: Can I draw a ball with all the knowledge and all the scientific information and knowledge that that makes that ball what it is? This uniquely popular fascinating toy of the of the world. Thank you for that, because I think it's such a great case in point of what you're doing and the way your mind 
is working around this and an invitation to the rest of us to look at something as simple as a ball and think about what we know or what we might know about how that ball operates works in the world. It's lovely. So yeah. thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. No Having used that, you ready for my big jar of wannabe analogies? Oh, sure. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm ready, but I, I'll, I'll play the game. <laughs> oh, you're great. No, no, it's good. Okay. So I have literal big jar. In this jar, I have slips of paper. I'm going to take out three, one for you, one for me, one for the audience. And we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on these slips. Okay, so yours is lava, mine is snow, and I have one for the audience. So do you want to go first or you want me to go? I'll go first. That, okay. will, that will make my answer seem less uh, less puny in, in compared to yours. <laughs> no. Um, lava, well, lava and is like curiosity because it, 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 it comes from within, right? Mm. It, it comes from a... Um, an unseen place and it, 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 it works its way up to the surface and, and like curiosity comes within the lava comes out and it finds its, its way through the landscape into the places where it can fill in gaps and crevices. Um, just like curiosity can comes out of us and, and helps us fill in our, our gaps in our knowledge. I love uh, that. I love that. You have nothing to worry about on the analogy <laughs> front. Wow. Okay, snow. Um, you went big. I'm going to go small. You know, we we learn, I don't know if it's true or not, but we learn that no two snowflakes are alike. And And I think that our curiosity is like that. Each of us has a kind of unique curiosity snowflake, a unique curiosity fingerprint that grows and is affected by the laws of physics, but also by, you know, random stuff that intersects with those laws. And, and that each of those forms is really quite beautiful when you, when you understand them in their uniqueness. So I'm going to say that's how curiosity is like snow. And a little bit of a theme here, audience yours is skiing. How is curiosity like skiing? Let me know on social media. Hashtag analogy. Well, Soren, this has been, I knew this would be great, but thank you so much. It was, it was wonderful. I really enjoyed it, Lynn. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Choose to be Curious. I'm your host, Lynn Borden. Thanks for joining us here today. You can find all my shows on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you follow me here, there, and on social media at Choose to be Curious. Don't forget to send us your skiing analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Soren Maibom. Links to his work, the Global Curiosity Institute, the Center on Longevity, and George Saunders' A Swim in a Pond in the Rain, all on my website. And a shout out to Loretta Goodwin for her wonderful new thing a day curiosity practice. It's another one of those practices I'm appropriating for my own use. Thanks, too, to Sean Ballack for our theme music. And this is Celestial Navigation by Aeronaut via Blue Dot Sessions. I hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, choose to be curious. <laughs>